The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. I think I'm going to go ahead and get started this morning. I'm going to jump right in. First off, I want to say thank you for all your prayers, all your well wishes. Uh, I did turn 33 this last week, and uh, my wife gave birth to her third child. So it has been a phenomenal past two weeks. Um, God has graced us. The baby, uh, Piper Joy, has been sleeping like a champ, so Daddy loves her already. Uh, She's super cute. She's our biggest baby yet, not longest. She's only 18 inches, but she was eight and a half pounds, so uh, everybody loves a baby with rolls, right? So she's super cute. Uh, My wife's doing well. We're doing well. You guys have taken care of us. We've been uh, more loved, and it's just, I'm so thrilled. You guys have loved us better than any church we've ever been a part of in our life. Um, Literally for two weeks, uh, we haven't cooked dinner for two weeks. You guys have just been bringing it every day. Phenomenal. We've really felt the love. My wife especially, she's broken down and cried several times over just, well, well, she just gave birth. There's a lot of reasons why she's crying, but just overjoyed it. She's not having to cook because daddy, daddy, oh man, I can't cook nothing. All right. I can grill. But anything else that goes with it, we're having red meat every night, all right, if dad's in charge. So it's been really good. You guys have been a blessing to us. Thank you. Uh, it was also, it did my heart so good to be able to listen to, to Rich preach last week on the prodigal son and what go- the gospel does in creating us families. Um, I got to sit home and, and uh, listen to that and just really enjoy it. I, I was giving him a hard time that uh, he really wussed out. He should have wore the dress that he was talking about. And he wore in Africa. He should have wore that. I think he really wussed out by not doing that. I might make him do that next time he preaches. Everybody knows Rich wears dresses. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and just leave it at that. How would he look on his motorcycle in that? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Because I'll be honest, guys. Um, you know me. Rich preached last week. But I still had a sermon planned. Okay. So the the point of the matter is, I'm squeezing two into this week, all right? You you don't get off for what I had to say last week. I'm still going to say it, but now I'm just adding a whole other sermon to it. So uh, if you have something in the crock pot, uh, well, good luck with that. It's going to be a long one. It might be a long one. I don't know. It depends on how fast I talk. So I'm going to get right into it today. Father, um, thank you so much for sending your perfect son, Jesus Christ, Jesus, thank you for being the one who saves us. As Hebrew says, you save us to the uttermost. That you are mighty to save. And on our own, we are completely helpless and completely powerless as missionaries. Father, we praise you for sending us the Holy Spirit to fill us with power so that we can spread the gospel. I pray that the gospel would be preached with boldness this morning from my lips and also from the missionaries downstairs who are training our kids. Bring glory to your name among us this morning. Awaken us to who you are, what you've done, and who we are in you. Father, this is all for your namesake. This is all for your glory. This is all because you are good to us, and it ultimately ends in our joy and your glory. So I pray that much will be made of you today that you would guard my mind, that you would guard the words of my mouth, that you would anoint the ears of those who hear, that we would hear 
So many times, Jesus, you said, hearing they don't hear, seeing they don't see. Well, I ask the Spirit to come into this room today and allow us to hear, allow us to see, allow us to to experience the power and the truth of who you are and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. All right, Sacred City Church is a gospel-centered missional church. That's a lot of lo- a lot of lingo there. You might not understand what that means. We are gospel-centered missional church. Gospel-centered means I'm going to baseline make it as simple as possible. Gospel-centered means when Jesus said, "It is finished," we actually believe that. When Jesus said, "It is finished," it is finished. God saves sinners of which I am the worst, Paul says. He God initiates, he regenerates, he gives new life, he gives new faith, he grants repentance to those who believe, he sanctifies, he glorifies those that swim every day in the glory of his grace. This is going to be key and I hope I can get this across to you. It's really diff- it's a really it's a nuanced It's very nuanced. It's very difficult to get across. So many people that have grown up in church, when they hear the word gospel, they say, yeah, I get that. I know what that is. Jesus died on the cross. I get it. Okay? That is true, but it's it's far more than that. There's implications to that that go down into our life and change us. So to say that we are gospel-centered, listen, it means this. We don't define ourselves by what we do. So many people say, well, what's the church? Well, the church is the people that gather together and they, they sing songs and they... No, no, no. The church, is, we don't define ourselves by what we do. We define ourselves by what God has done in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and redeeming a people from the nations to glorify him and enjoy him forever. We exist because God created us. We exist because God redeemed us. We exist because of what God has done. So we define the church like this. The church is God's people. It's who we are. We're God's people. Saved by God's power. It's what he's done. Nobody pulls their self up by their bootstraps and decides to be a Christian. Nobody wakes up in the morning one day all by their own and says, You know what? Today... I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to make it happen today. No one does that. No one can adopt themselves. The Father adopts us into the family. He's done a great work. So the church is God's people. That's who we are. Saved by God's power. That's what He has done and is continuing to do amongst us for God's purposes. Ephesians says, you were saved for good works that he predestined beforehand. From the foundations of the earth, he saved you to do some things. Okay? We're God's people, saved by God's power for God's purposes. Now listen, that, that might, we might just uh, you know, give a verbal assent to that and say, yeah, 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 I get that, Justin. That's, yeah, I know that. But it's so easy to slip into this mode where you define yourself by what you do. You measure your Christianity by how well you're doing, not as who you are. As Americans especially, this is really easy for us to do. When you meet somebody at a party, you want to get to know them, what do you say? What do you do? What what are you saying when you ask them that? What do you do? You're asking them, who are you? I want to know what you do so I can determine who you are. Oh, you're a lawyer? Oh, 
Okay. All right. Oh, your doctor? Oh, okay. Oh, your musician? Okay. I thought so. You were late. That's, that makes sense. Right? We want to know what they do to determine who they are. Christians cannot be defined this way. A Christian, listen, is an identity, not a behavior. If you're, if you're an unbeliever in this room or, or you're an outsider to the church or you're a person that's, that's maybe you had faith at one time and you don't anymore, maybe you've never had faith and you're not a Christian, I want you to hear that this morning. So many people outside the church think being a Christian is that way. It's the way to act. You act that way. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. That's a Christian. That's not true. A Christian is not, is not behavior. Christian is an identity. Unfortunately, it's really easy to slip away from this crucial gospel understanding into forms of, listen, behavior modification and performance-based religion. We tend, even those that grew up in the church, we tend to believe that the gospel makes us Christians, but now it's time to grow up and move beyond the gospel into the three great words of all the world's religions, get to work. Okay, I believe in Jesus, now I better start acting like one. And we step away from God's work and we enter into our work. Wow, thank God I'm not a sinner anymore. Thank God he saved me. I'm not going to hell. Now I better pull myself up by the bootstraps. Now I better suck it up. Now I better start acting like a Christian. That is performance-based, law-based, legalistic-based religion. That is not gospel-centered Christianity. This is not the life of the gospel-centered Christian. All of our behavior, now this is going to be nuanced. You're going to have to listen to me and don't, say, don't think I'm saying something I'm not saying. All of our behavior, all of our obedience, all of our current and future holiness and growth and sanctification will come by continually going back to the gospel and surveying its brilliance. We never move beyond the gospel. We never need, the, need something other than the gospel. We always need more of the gospel. We need a better understanding of the gospel. We need to come back and look at the cross and remember what Christ has done. His finished work makes all our current and future work possible. His finished work on the cross makes all of our current and future work possible. He calls us to love sacrificially and to lay our lives down for others. Now listen, that's impossible. I love, I love, I, I love God's law. David said, I delight in God's law. I love it because of how impossible it is. Many of the world's religion says, okay, go behave like this. This is what we want you to do. We want you to pray three times a day, face east, bow down, lay your thing, do it exactly like this. This is what you want to do. I'm a good legalist. I was a firstborn. I could follow rules for days, okay? You give me a list, I'm on it, and I'm acing the test. I like those things, all right? I'm competitive. I was a wrestler. I mean, that, that's just me. Give me a goal, and I can do it. But God does this. Yeah, 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 rules are good. Uh, here's all my rules, but here's the first one. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. What? Do you ever think about how impossible that is? Love Him 
Not, 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 not obey him. Not be a good boy, be a good girl. Love. Imagine being 16. Your parents pull you along. They say, see that girl over there, huh, son? You say, yeah. I want you to love her. With every... I don't even know her. You might be like, I will do that, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Right? It completely depends on the package, right? But, but listen, God commands us to love himself more than anything on this earth, more than our spouse, more than our kids. He commands us not, to, not just to obey, but to love. Reminds me of my parents, right? Like, you're going to do it and you're going to like it. Well, I'll do it. You can't make me like it, right? You can't command my affections, but God can because he created them. He created your heart. He created your affections. So he can not only command your obedience, he can command your affections. So his standard is impossible. Those of you... The people that are, you know, those of us who get kind of proud about our moral achievements, you're just a Pharisee with low standards. Right? You just lowered the standard of God's law to where you can kind of squeak above it. Right? Say, you know, you, you witness enough to your neighbors and, and you have, enough, have, have, have 20 Bibles and you read enough theological textbooks and, and you're going all around the world serving missions trips and wow, you're a pretty good person. Sorry, that doesn't cut it. You know what gets you know what challenges my affections? It's about to start in a couple months. Okay? The best time of year. God created this beautiful time of year called the college football season. Right? Best time of year. I'm an Alabama fan. We dominate. All right? We make it happen year after year. But listen, this is so challenging for me because on Saturday morning, like I'm not a pastor on Saturday morning, so don't call me. All right? you got some kind of issue, you call Rich on Saturdays during football season, all right? If Alabama's playing, man, it's me, Jesus, and Alabama, okay? But here's what challenges me is when they score a touchdown, right? When we have another Heisman Trophy winner like we do every other year. Like when something like that happens and my affections erupt inside of me and I jump off the couch and I'm screaming and shouting and my son's doing the same thing because he's learned what good football looks like, right? When he's doing this... My affection's in that moment. This is the challenge. Am I that excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ? God does not care. God is, in, he, he loves to give us good gifts to his children. And, and college football is a good gift that he's given to his children. He loves to do that. He loves that I get excited. He loves that I, that I literally almost am worshiping in that moment, right? But here's the challenge. Does my heart do that on Sunday morning? Does my heart do that in my missional community? Does my heart do that when I meditate on the gospel? He wants nothing to have my heart more than the gospel does. And you're a gospel-centered Christian when the gospel has you like that. Not that great deal you just got at TJ Maxx, ladies. Not that deal you just signed, gentlemen. Not that song you just wrote. Not that masterpiece you just created. The gospel has you. His love for us empowers us to love others. 
Gazing, I, I love the scripture that says, as we gaze into the glory and the face of Jesus Christ, we're being transformed from glory to glory into the image of his son. As we behold, we become. As we behold the gospel, as we behold Jesus Christ, we become more and more like him. He commands us to love him, but he gives us that love. When we look at the cross, he gives us that love. Sorry. Everything that God commands for us to do. If you're making a decision about whether to become a Christian today, I want you to hear this. For those of you who think that it's just walk up to the preacher and he'll give you a list of things to do and of do's and don'ts. Everything that God asks us to do, he empowers us to accomplish through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit. Everything he asks us to do, he's already done it in us. He's already provided the power for it to happen in us. So we're gospel-centered. That's gospel-centered in a nutshell. I preach on the gospel. I always, hopefully every week I preach on the gospel. But we're also a missional church. Now what is missional? Missional is an, e- is an easy way to say that we are a sending church. Many churches um, rate their success, quote-unquote, on how many people they gather together on a Sunday morning. If we have this many people in the building and this much tithes and offerings coming in, we're a success. We do not believe that's what the the Bible teaches. We believe the Bible teaches success is how many missionaries can you send out into the world? So we rate our success basically on faithfulness, but the God gives us people. We want to equip those people and send them out as missionaries, send them out as disciples into the world to affect their context with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to raise up men and women to take the gospel to unreached people groups, whether that be artists downtown Davenport or tribes people in Africa. We want to send out missionaries everywhere, and a missionary is not some elite Christian. A missionary is not some person that is up here, you know, above all normal Christians. I believe, and I'm going to try to prove it to you today, Scripture says all of us are called to be missionaries. Every single one of us. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to open up to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, um, all of our liturgy and Scripture is available on Version. It's the Bible app on your iPhone, on your iPad, or on an Android device. And there's also some Bibles sitting back just right there by the door on a little stool. I really encourage you to grab one. Matthew 28. And we're going to start. We usually don't, but I, I just saw this this week and I want to do this. So we're going to start in chapter, or 28, verse 16. And while we're turning there, I do want to apologize again that there's no air conditioning in here. They, they promised us it would be done this week. Um, but it is not. And so hopefully it will be, it'll be done next week. <clears throat> Matthew 28, verse 16. When you're there, say there. Thank you. Let's read. Now the 11... Oh, hold on. Let me just give you a little context. This is what's going on right here. Jesus has died. He's been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's come back. And now he's teaching the, the, his apostles and his disciples. Okay? So everybody say post-resurrection. Man, I like preaching with thunder. I like it. I like preaching with thunder. God gives me an exclamation point every now and then. Okay. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus told them, go there, I'm going to meet you there. All right? And when they saw him, when they saw who? Jesus. Not just like carpenter Jesus. This is post-resurrection Jesus. This is Jesus who can walk through walls and sit in a chair and eat fish. Crazy. Okay? This is that Jesus. Now look look at this. Look what it says. This is... This, can I just stop here right here? There's a lot of people that say the Bible's not real. It was just written by his followers. His followers wanted to make up a story, so they stole the body and they hid it. And, and they, go, they would have to go through this huge, you know, big fiasco to write this, write this book. Now listen, if you're a disciple and you say, you know what? Okay, we really thought this religion thing was going to work out, but he's dead. And, so let's just fake it till we make it. Let's just do this. Let's just create a world religion out of just because we want to. If you're going to write yourself into the story, you're not going to do this. Look at this. Verse 17. And when they saw him, that's the disciples. When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Whoa. They were, who are you, who are you worshiping? You are looking with your eyes and you are seeing a guy who you saw crucified. A few days ago, he was crucified you saw him killed. You saw him put in a tomb. You're seeing him, and they're looking at him going, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, think I, see, I think I saw David Blaine do something similar. I'm not really sure. I don't know. Listen to this. If you're an apostle and you're writing this, are you going to put your foolishness? Yeah, so this is what we did. We were looking at Jesus. He was resurrected right there in front of us, but I don't know. Maybe. But it's, this is a testimony to the truthfulness of Scripture. Matthew's writing this and going, yeah, we miss it too. You know what? We see Jesus, but we don't really get it too. You know, we doubt too. We lived with him for three years. We saw miracle after miracle after miracle. We heard him prophesy and say, hey, brother, I'm not going to be with you very long. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to Jerusalem where I will die. And I'm going to die for the price of your, to pay the price for your sins. This is going to happen. And they're like, yeah, 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 Jesus. Yeah. And then it happens. And they're like, what is happening? Then they see the resurrected Jesus and they're still like, I don't know. It is impossible to believe without the Spirit of God regenerating your heart, giving you new eyes to see, giving you new ears to hear. No one believes on their own. No one comes to Christ on their own. Even the apostles, his closest brothers, doubted. So if you're in this room and you have a hard time with Christianity, you have a hard time, and maybe you're going through a season right now where you're doubting and it's tough for you to have faith, you're in good company. Everyone has doubts. And if they don't, they're naive. Everyone has doubts in some areas, in some aspects, in some seasons of their life. Christianity is fine with doubts. So the Bible, I, I just think this is refreshing. So many times you hear preachers and they just act like, like doubt is a sin. Like, like doubt is like, like no one doubts. Like if you have enough faith, you should never doubt. That's just not true. Absolutely not true. Second thing I want you to see from this. And let's go ahead and keep reading actually. Verse 18. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all, excuse me, always to the end of the age. So I want you to see two things. Number one, God gives a command to his disciples, to his believers, go make disciples. That tells us that that's something we should do and that's something we can do. We need to make disciples. But I want, what I want you to see, why do you think he put this, some believed but some doubted, and then this go make disciples? Why is that right there together? And I could unpack it and I could go take you all over the Bible, but I'm just going to I'm just going to give you a a big statement right here and you have to trust me on it and I'm going to prove it later. It's this. All of our behaviors flow out of our beliefs. All of our behaviors flow out of our beliefs. If you are doubting, if you're doubting the goodness of God, if you're doubting the power of God, if you're doubting who God is, what he's done and who he's made you into, it's going to affect the way you live your life. I believe every single person on this world, in this world, makes all their decisions out of these three questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? From a secular atheist, from a Christian, from a Mormon, from a Muslim, from, they, they make all their decisions in life based on those three things. Who is God? What's he done? And who am I? Let me show you how this looks. A person who says they believe in God but their whole life revolves around them. They're narcissistic. means they're always focused on themselves. They're always thinking about their needs, their desires, their wants. They use people. All of their friendships are about them. They don't pour into other people. They're not on the other end of the phone. When their friends are needing and hurting, they're always the one who needs. They're so needy. They latch on to people. Their whole life revolves around them. They're self-obsessed and they only pray when they need a little pick-me-up from Jesus or God. People like that are showing what they really believe about God. Let me show you. A faith like that is called moralistic, therapeutic deism. God exists. He created us, but is now aloof. And he exists to make people happy. He doesn't make demands. He's nice. That faith says, I am the center of the universe and God owes me health, wealth, and happiness as I defined it. And if God doesn't give me something that I want, then I point my finger at him and I say, you're not good. And I throw a little adult temper tantrum, typically. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. I think God exists. I think what he did was just for me and it was just all about me and I think I'm created to live for my own glory. Many people live that way and pass it off as being a Christian. Absolutely not. Here's another example. If your behaviors show that you do not love people, I love the church, but I hate the people, right? Maybe you keep people at a distance and you don't let them get too close. Maybe you live alone. Maybe you hide away. Maybe you keep all your feelings bottled inside. You don't really share anything with anybody. You got a six-foot privacy fence, right? You've got your own little world. You pull into your garage. You close the door. I'm home. Turn on the TV for the rest of the night. Keep people at a distance. Those behaviors are revealing that you don't believe that God loves you. What? 
See, those behaviors reveal that you don't believe that God has shown his unconditional love for you through the death of his son. You probably even think you're keeping him at a distance. You might say, oh, I believe the gospel, Justin, but you don't. The person who has experienced the love of God loves others sacrificially. Just happens, just produced in us. We're so overwhelmed by what Christ has done that we just naturally love others in that way. We invite others into our life because God has invited us graciously into his family. We let other people into our lives because God, because God has forgiven us of our sins and we don't have to hold on to them. We don't have to be ashamed of them anymore. So now we can be open and honest about our brutal flaws and our failures and our screw-ups in our life. We don't have to protect ourselves because we found our refuge in Christ. The gospel frees us to be radically open with people, radically welcoming because God has been so welcoming with us. And the heart that's captured by that responds in like. Or maybe you only love those like you. You only love those who treat you well and who treat you with respect. Then it reveals that you believe God loves you because you're, you're well-behaved and you're respectful. You have forgotten the gospel. Anytime I'm frustrated with someone over the way they're behaving, why aren't they acting right? Why are they being so weird? I'm forgetting the gospel. God saved me and loved me and showed me his graciousness while I was a a rebellious sinner. You have forgotten the gospel. Don't you know that God has loved us, that God has acted loving toward us when we were his enemies? We were in active rebellion against him and his kingdom. But like the father from which Rich's sermon last week, the father entreated us. He runs after us. He showers us with affection and grace. And being loved with that kind of love melts the heart of stone and is absolutely crucial for understanding the rest of this sermon and the rest of this series that we're in called Sacred City DNA. If you don't get this, you won't understand what we're doing as a church. You won't understand the motivating power we have to live this way as a church. You won't get it. We are obeying from a position of accepted, adopted, forgiven sons. We are not doing this so that God would love us. We are not doing this just to make God happy. Like he's in heaven saying, come on, boys, you can do it. You can do it. And he's just waiting for for us to do one more good deed and adopt one more child and and give one more dollar to a missions agency and, and serve one more hour. God is not thrilled with that. God is not overwhelmed with that. God accepted us when we were wicked, rebellious sinners. He can't love us any more than he already does. When we serve, when we give, when we love, when we lay our life down, it's out of it's out of an overflow of what he's already given us. It's out of a response. It's out of an awakened soul, a softened heart. A soul that's been set on fire by God. We don't sit at home wondering what we can do to make God happy. Being a Christian, listen, if you... For some of us, we need this so bad. We've grown up in church and we've white knuckled it all our life and we just grin and we bear it and we act like this is joyful and we act like we enjoy church and we act like we enjoy being a Christian, but we hate it and it's frustrating us and we get mad at people who don't behave rightly. 
Because we're white-knuckling it. Suck it up. Act better. Do more. Serve harder. Love greater. It's overwhelming. It's meant to crush you. That feeling is meant to crush you under the weight of it because you can't sustain it. It's why you need the righteousness of Christ. It's why you need his perfect obedience on your behalf. It's like this. When, this is not a perfect illustration, but it's the best I got. When you become a Christian, it's like you get your new life. I want you to hear that first off. Becoming a Christian isn't putting on new behaviors. Becoming a Christian isn't uh, making a one-time decision, then all of a sudden everything's... Listen, becoming a Christian, you, you don't become good. You become new. Whole new person. Totally new creation. You're new. So I want you to think of this. Becoming a Christian is like getting a brand new car, okay? You get a brand new car, and that, that, let's just go through this. When we turn from our sins in repentance, in faith, and place our faith in Christ, God gives us the keys to this new car, okay? You got keys to the ignition. You are now a Christian. You are now a believer. You are now in Christ. You are now adopted. You get in the car, boom, that baby fires up, right? But this is what happens, So many Christians and pastors and churches want to jump in the car and take off. And they get a couple hundred miles, or maybe if it's, you know, maybe if you get some kind of electric car, you get a thousand miles down the road, you got a big engine, whatever, you get a thousand miles down the road and you run out of gas. Every Christian experiences this. They become a Christian. It's like the new car. They put the key in the ignition. Whoa, they hit the... I feel so new. Sticking your head out the window. You're loving the feeling of being a Christian. It's great. And all of a sudden, a thousand miles down the road. What the... Why don't I feel the same way? What's going on? This is different. You start running out of gas. And this is where the church has failed us. We start asking, oh, oh, what do I do now? How do I fill up my gas tank? Where do I get the motivation? Where do I get the energy? Where do I get the power? I want to, this car was great, but I don't, I can't move it anymore. How do I fill my gas? And this is, this is where the church has stepped in. This is where the church comes in. They said, they start offering a smorgasbord of programs. Oh, this is what you need. Oh, you need to fill your tank? Oh, okay. Let's do worship night. Friday night, we're going to do worship night. Okay, and then Wednesday we're going to do prayer group, and then we're going to do small group, and then we're going to do Bible study, and then we're going to do men's ministry, then we're going to do women's ministry, then we're going to have a Awana, then we're going to have a couples retreat, and then for all those who are just crack addicts, we're going to send you on a missions trip in the summer because you're not doing enough. Performance driven. All now, listen to me. All of these things are good, but they don't do what they promised. If you've been in church, this should ring true to your soul. They don't deliver. They don't fill the gas tank. They just make Christian people busy. And oftentimes, this is a sad thing. Oftentimes, being busy is enough to take our mind off the fact that we're empty. I'm doing all these things. I'm doing all these things. You've forgotten. You're still empty. Yeah. The car's still out of gas. You're just running around the car. 
Let me check under the hood. Oh, oh, Bible study. Maybe I need new hoses, a new boom, close the thing. Let's get in the back seat. Let's talk. Okay. You're just running around the car. You're meant to be on mission. You're meant to be moving forward. You're meant to be going deeper into the Father's love and deeper into the gospel and deeper into the understanding. You're meant to be maturing. You're meant to be making disciples who make disciples, not running around the car trying to figure out what's wrong with it. All those things are good, but they don't fill your gas tank. Sunday morning doesn't even fill your gas tank. I hate that consumeristic mindset. I'm going to church to get fed. Hope the preacher's got something for me today. Give me a break. We get together. We worship the King. We worship God that he's filling us. He has filled us. He's given us his spirit. He's done all the work for us. It's about him. Now, it is about edification. We do get edified under the teaching of the word and the, and the scriptures and the, the singing. But that's not the main thing. It's a byproduct. Listen, in Matthew 28, when God told a group of believers and doubters that they were to go and make disciples of all nations, do you think he knew that was beyond their strength? I, I love it. Okay, I got this plan. I'm going to change the whole world. We're going to recreate the whole world. And he goes, uh, believers, doubters, all right, go make disciples. Uh, I'm seeing the resurrected Christ and I'm doubting. Yeah, yeah, no, no, go make disciples. Do you, do you think possibly the sovereign Lord of all creation who made the mind of man and the heart of man and the ability of man and the strength of man, do you think he knew they were weak when he was telling them this? Impossible? A little band? It's like going out, I mean, it's a, such a small town. It's like going out to Mount Joy and picking somebody and go, all right, listen, this is what I want to do. We're going to start this whole new religion thing. Go make disciples. Peace, I'm out. And expecting it to recreate the world? Turn the Bible to the right. Go to Acts chapter 1. So Jesus meets him. He tells him in Matthew, 20, Matthew 28, go make disciples. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he also tells him, go and wait for me. Right? Go and wait for me, and I'm going to do something. Acts chapter 1 8. Look at this. When you're there, say there. Jesus, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. I love that word. In the Greek, it's dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite from. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will what? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, hometown in Judea, suburbs, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Progressively, the gospel will progressively move out. How? Power. I will give you the power to do it. Listen, the car that God gives us does not operate very long apart from His Spirit. You cannot accomplish the works of God in our own strength and power. We cannot go out into the world and quote-unquote act like Christians without a continual reliance and recognition of the Spirit of God. Parents, you better hear this. And I posted a video on the city that you should watch if you have not watched yet. 
We raise our kids to act like Christians when acting like a Christian is completely impossible apart from the Spirit of God. Apart from a regenerated, recreated human soul, obedience to the gospel out of love is impossible. And we can train our kids to be good little boys and girls who never need the gospel who never need Jesus, who never realize the depths of their brokenness and sin and reliance. And we just raise these little moralistic performers that can go from dance class to softball to church group to all these things and stay busy enough to never realize how empty they are. The gospel sends us out But hear this. The gospel keeps us out. The gospel sends us out, but the gospel keeps us out on mission. The gospel is the source of our power. The Holy Spirit is the source of our power. The gospel is the power that keeps your life in Christ running every single day. And so many, this is, this is what frustrates me about this sermon, is so many of us go, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. And I, I, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to treat, I don't want you to feel like I'm speaking down to you. I bet you don't. I bet you don't get it. Unless your heart is moved when you think about the the gospel, when you think about what Christ has done on the cross for you. And your obedience can come out of that. It's a continual obedience. It's not this back in the day, right? Youth camp. Oh, I'm going to take the world for Jesus. Right? And then the girl you met there, she breaks up with you two weeks later, right? And you, you hit the bottoms, right? Until you get back into school and then you meet another girl and then, oh, she goes to church so then you start going to church again. Like this ebb and flow of our experiences that we constantly have to, we need a, I need a worship night tonight. Oh man, I'm so down. Oh, I really need, I, I fear that our, we have more faith in our experiences than we do in the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm getting long-winded. But the gospel sends us out, yes, but the gospel is what keeps us out on mission. You cannot sustain a missionary identity without having the power of the gospel. You will burn out this quick. Or you'll burn out in a few years if you've got a high, you know, high work ethic, high tolerance, high capacity, It'll take you a little longer. Pastor in our network, 5,000 members in his church at the time. God was doing all kinds of amazing things. He was preaching seven times a Sunday. Seven times. Dude, I wake up feeling like I have a hangover on Monday after preaching once. Okay? I got a headache. I'm groggy. Like, what in the world? My throat hurts. I don't know why, but... Right. He preaches seven times. Now listen, he's just doing it for Jesus. I'm just doing it for Jesus. I'm just doing it for Jesus. Didn't realize he was in this performance-based mentality. His dad was a union drywaller. His dad was a hard worker. Raised him. He had a high capacity. Just keep going. Suck it up. Keep moving. 
I lived this life. And this pastor had complete adrenal failure, depression. He says he was in depression, probably clinically depressed for 10 years of his life, whole season of ministry, because he was caught up in his performance. So when God recreated us, I want you to hear this, when he regenerates us and he recreates us, he gives us a totally new identity. And he has filled us with the power to accomplish his mission. Duracell has nothing on this, okay? You get the new car, you get the keys, but you get a perpetual gas tank. You never run out of gas in the gospel, in the power, in the spirit of God, okay? That's what's happening. Totally new identity. Now listen, this is what I want, I want to get to. If you, some of you have heard this term. It's a theological term. It's called the Missio Dei. It, it describes how God the Father sent the Son. Father and, Father and Son sent the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, has now sent the church. We're sent people. Okay, God is a missional God. But I want you to think how God created us. He makes Adam out of dust. Makes him out of dirt. Then what's he do? He breathes into him. And then gives him a mission. Creation, recreation, mission. Creation, empowerment, mission. This is crucial. I could get up here, and I'm sure every single person that's been in this room, or that's in this room today, has heard some sermon sometime. Why aren't you a missionary? You need to go make disciples. You need to go be a you need to here's the list of things you should do. Go save people. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Then you some of you walk out of here like, I'm doing that this week. I'm doing that. And the other people walk out of here going, I'm terrible at that. I can never do that. And then you maybe you read some other scripture and you think, well, maybe I don't have a gift of evangelism, so maybe I can just maybe I'll just pray for people to share their faith. But I won't actually do it myself. I'm not leading with what you should do. I'm trying to lead with your new identity. This is who you are. God made you in your mother. Before, he, before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. And then sometime, he regenerated your heart. He gave you faith to believe. You responded and he breathed his spirit into you. And now you've been empowered for that mission. And now he sends us, Matthew 28 tells us, the whole thrust of the Bible tells us, he sent us now on a mission. Creation, empowerment, mission. God's people, I want you to hear this now. This is going to flip your, it might flip your lid here. God's people don't have a mission. You don't have a mission. God's mission has a people. You exist because God wants to be known. God created you because he has a mission that the whole, all of creation would know him and would glorify him and would love him. I hope you can hear that this morning. We exist because God has a mission to be known. So we don't, so for some of you in here that, you know, you want to ask yourself this question. Well, do I have time for being on God's mission? Do I have, I got kids. I got hobbies. Lord knows I need my hobbies. I got a wife. I got a job. I got a business. Do I have time to be on God's mission? Wrong question. What? Are you serious? 
That is why you're breathing. That is why you were created. You were created to make him known. That's why he saved you. That's why he's adopted you. That's why he's recreated you. That's why he's filled you with his spirit. And that is something, listen to this, I want you to hear this. That is something that will give you great joy. One thing we do around here is if you are, are make, if you're out making disciples and you're leading someone and you're in a discipleship relationship when you're walking and talking with them and they come to faith in Christ, one of the things that we do around here is you baptize them. Next week, we're going to have a baptism uh, service. We'll have the tank up here. And, and those that you've walked with, those that you've been discipling, you get to baptize them. And it's thrilling. People have done it, said that was one of the greatest things I've ever done, getting to baptize my best friend, getting to baptize my wife, getting to baptize. That was phenomenal. Why? There's so much joy in it because you were created to do it. God has created you into a missionary when he adopted you. And when you do things that missionaries do, you get great joy because that's what you were created for. We are not our own. We are his. He has bought us at the high price of his son. And now our entire lives belong to him. Not only does he own us by rights of creatorship because he made us, but he also owns us because he saved us. He paid for our redemption through the precious blood of his son. This could be a world record closing because I'm like half done. We have 15 minutes. Okay. He adopted us. We're his children. We as Christians are now brothers and sisters. We talked about that last week. We're brothers and sisters. We're family, but we're missionaries to live in such a way that those around us could see and experience what God is like. We say this. We're called to live as missionaries wherever we are. We're called to live lives that demand a gospel explanation. We're called to live lives that demand a gospel. Why are you so open? Why are you so open about your weaknesses? Why are you self-deprecating? Why are you humble? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you always come talk to your neighbor? Why do you fill in the blank? Live lives that demand a gospel explanation. You, Christian, Man, woman, boy, girl, you are a missionary. Right where you are, you are a missionary. I want you to think about that. You are a missionary at home. Number one, you're on mission to your kids. Are you teaching them the gospel? Are you training them in the gospel and not just in legalism and moralistic behavior modification? You're on mission... In your neighborhood, when Jesus says, love your neighbors, he met your neighbors. You're on mission at work. You're on mission at the gym. You're on mission at school. You're on mission at the coffee shop. You're on mission in your hobbies. You're on mission at the bar. I want you to think about that for a second. Wherever you go, God is sending you. But what does that look like? Some of you, that image in your mind, completely wrong. Oh man, I gotta go get Christian t-shirts. Jeez, I gotta start carrying a Bible. Man, I need to get some of those tracks and start track bombing my office. Absolutely not. 
How are you meant to be a missionary? You look at the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, Jesus Christ. I'm going to do a flyover here real quick. Jesus was sent by the Father. He was the first, he was our, the core missionary, the, the, the missionary that we base all of our life on. How did he come? I say it like this. He was contextualized. He was contextualized, but he was countercultural. That's what that means. Jesus didn't come wearing skinny jeans and V-necks. Jesus came dressing exactly like the culture dressed. He was contextualized. So people that have a problem with the way certain people dress, because, oh, they're back in my day. You were a freak in your day too. Forget about that. All right? They can dress however they want to dress. Why? Because Jesus was contextualized into his culture. But he preached the gospel. He preached the coming of the kingdom. He, sh- he showed people what life in the kingdom was like. So what did that look like? He ate food. What? He ate food with people. He ate at the establishments that were... He didn't create Christian restaurants. What? I love Chick-fil-A too, but there's no such thing as Christian chicken, okay? (laughs) Jesus ate in established places. He drank alcohol. I'm sorry if you're from a fundamentalist background. I'm sorry that Jesus didn't fit in the mold. I'm sorry. He drank alcohol. He could have turned the water into grape juice or Kool-Aid or high C. He didn't. All right. He turned it into honey bourbon. Everybody knows that. Okay. Maybe not. It was wine, but it's still alcohol. Jesus didn't wear t-shirts with his face on them. It's me. I'm with this guy or whatever those shirts are. <laughs> he didn't pass out tracks. He used the same language. He used the same. So many times we have this Christian, you know, people talk about Christianese. Bless God, brother. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Uh, I'm what? Same language. People, he, Jesus obviously ate and drank a lot because his reputation was, now this is not true, but his reputation was of a glutton and a drunkard. So compared to the Pharisees, compared to the religious people, he drank more than they did and he ate more than they did. Many times the Pharisees said, what are you doing? We fast all the time. God's like, yeah, I like food. My father made it. I'm going to eat it for the glory of God. Right? He drank, he ate This is how he lived on mission. Jesus was known for spending an inordinate amount of time with notorious sinners because he was on mission towards them. I come for the lost. I come for the sick. Jesus said that. Jesus was caught often weeping over those he was on mission to. He looked out over Jerusalem and he was weeping. He said, oh, how I've longed. Basically, he's saying, I've been longed to be on mission towards you. I've been longed to tell you about the Father's love. I've been longed to draw you in to the family, but you won't have it. A missionary weeps over people. A missionary, when I think about the people that God has placed in my life, I beg God every day, I beg God to save them. 
I can't do it. I don't have the right words. I can't manufacture their salvation. I beg God to show them mercy and grace. I beg God for the salvation of my kids. We should, as missionaries, we should weep over the people we're on mission towards. What else did Jesus do? He just, he lived a normal life of grace, truth, and mercy. He showed that the life with Christ, the life in God is freedom. It's not like those religious people over there that can't drink and can't eat and touch not. No. Whatever you do, if you eat, if you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Last night, I was sitting on my back deck watching the sunrise, sunset, and I was smoking my cigar to the glory of God. Thank you, Father God. Dead serious. Jesus was a man who walked, he talked, he ate, he worked, and he lived like a regular person filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus shared his faith by telling stories and by pointing people to his Father. Jesus was the best missionary the world has ever seen, and we take all of our cues from him. He wasn't staunchy. He wasn't awkward. He wasn't at the bar hanging out with people and then all of a sudden be like, repent! What just happened? You just turned into Jesus, man, or something. Like, we get all this, like we get so many Christians, they don't know how to be. They don't just have to be. And let God bring up opportunities and then step through the door when he, bring, when he brings up opportunities. So we get to this awkward position where we're like, I think I could share the gospel here. I think, I think, I think. Did you know Jesus died for your sins? And they're like, what? Where did that come from? so clunky. Jesus knew how to weave stories in and out of their life and of of meaning and of purpose, always pointing them back to the gracious love of the Father. But for all those in this room that just want to hang out and have a beer, right? Jesus was, John 1.14 says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He, He wasn't weak. He wasn't soft. He was full of grace and truth. When, he, when, he, when, he, when the woman who uh, was caught in adultery, they're about to stone her, he said, whoa, 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 who, has, who without sin cast the first stone? Right? That's grace. He showed her grace, but then he said, well, all right, go and sin no more. This is not okay. Your lifestyle is not one of joy. You're, you don't know who your identity is. I've saved you. I'm your savior. When you put your faith in me, you'll be filled with the love so much you don't have to go out and look for the love of men in their beds. You don't know who you are. Go and sin no more. He was filled with grace and truth. I like to say that Jesus lived a normal life with gospel intentionality. So many of his miracles were on the way. He's walking, something pops up. He applies the gospel. He points him to Jesus. He lived a normal life with gospel intentionality. Guys, this The church has failed us in this area. The reason you're not missionaries is because you've been pulled out of your mission field and brought into the church. Bible studies at the church, worship nights at the church, Awana at the church, addiction recovery at the church. Go on and on and on. Everything at the church. Jesus did everything. He would would teach in the temple, but then everything else was out there. Sent. Sent. 
We're a sent people. We gather and we scatter. We say we're more concerned with what happens six days a week than we are what happens on this day right now. I'm sorry, this is long. No, I'm not. Why am I lying? I'm going to skip one, I'm going to skip one scripture. We're going to go to the last one right here. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. I know it's hot in here. It's hard to stay awake, but... Look, look at this. Look at it outside right now. You know you've got a killer nap coming. You know you do. So let's just suck it up for a little bit longer. Push through. Second Corinthians 5, 17. When you're there, say there. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, thank God. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And look at this. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at this, guys. There's a duality to our call. There's a duality to our call to becoming a Christian. There's a call to come in and be reconciled to God. If you are not in Christ out there, if you've never put your faith and you're resting securely in Christ, I ask you, I appeal to you to do that. Come be reconciled to God and live in this new identity, this new intimacy that he offers to you. Come do that today. But also, when you come, there's also this sending. He calls us in and he sends us out. He says, you're reconciled to Christ, but look, you're given the ministry. Who's given the ministry? You, all of us, Christians, disciples, you're now given the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, he's going to explain it. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the gospel in a nutshell. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has done the work. He has made us into a family full of missionaries. We are a family of missionary servants. This is who God has created us to be. And this is the life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission. If you have your... I'm going to, go, I'm going to post this on the city tomorrow. Um maybe this afternoon. If, it's on, if you have the liturgy open, it's going to be on the liturgy there under the notes section. So many people say, okay, Justin, but what does that look like? Well, I, I would like to say, because I'm a big picture guy, I'm a vision guy, well, it looks like Jesus. Just go do that. Contextualize yourself, preach the God, go do that. But it, I know it's, it's, it makes it easy. It gives us handles, things really practical. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you eight ways to be missional without overloading your schedule. Jesus lived his normal life with gospel intentionality. That's what it looks like to be a missionary. Okay, number one, every single one of us, we eat three meals a day. Well, probably. Some of us maybe eat more, some eat less. We eat three meals a day. Here's a way to be missional. 
eat a meal a week with a non-Christian. Eat a meal a week, get a cup of coffee. It's in my schedule. Every single week I meet with somebody who's not a Christian, who doesn't claim faith. It's just a missional rhythm. You already eat three meals a day. Why don't you share one of those meals with a, with a, a, um, a person who is outside the family of God. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're a neighbor. Maybe you work with them. Invite them over for dinner. Maybe go out to a restaurant with them. Eat with non-Christians. If it's too much work to cook a big dinner, just order pizza and put the focus on the conversation. Who are they? What are they serving? Who's their God? Number two, and there's going to be a lot of other stuff in here, but I'm just going to give an overview. Number two, walk, don't drive. A lot of us can't do that. Some of us can. If you live downtown or if you live in the village or if you live somewhere that you can walk, walk, don't drive. Walk around, meet your neighbors. Take your kids for a walk. Take your dog for a walk. Meet your neighbors. Having a dog is missional in my neighborhood. Everybody has one and they're walking them nonstop and they always want to stop and pet yours. Okay? Walk, don't dog. But I just decided there's something about the reversal of creation that's happening these days. Like God created us to subdue animals and God created us to have dominion over them and I see all of my neighbors walking with this little sack full of their dog's poop. I'm like, who's walking who here? That's, just, I, that's not me, man. I'm kicking into my neighbor's yard or something. I'm not, I ain't walking around with my dog's poop in a bag. Number three, number three, be a regular. Be a regular, an easy way to be missional. You go to Starbucks, go to the same one every day. Go to the same one all the time. You go to a car, coffee shop, go to the same one all the time. You go to restaurants, go to the same one often. Be a regular. Why? You get to know people. They get to know you. You get to have conversation. You can invite them out to other things. Ask the questions. Be a regular. Some of the people in this church I've met at coffee shops. Just sitting there. Conversations come up. I, gotta, I know I got the easy way. Because as soon as they ask you, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, yeah, so we're going to have the conversation. We're going to have it. So we can have it now or we can wait a, a couple days. But I'm going to ask you, where do you go to church? What do you, you know, I'm going to ask you these things. Most of them just say, fine, where's it at? I'll come. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> Number four, hobby with non-Christians. Go golfing with non-Christians. One of my favorite things to do is CrossFit. Okay? When I CrossFit, I'm on mission at CrossFit. Everybody knows I'm a pastor. Everybody knows who's going to come up. I don't wear my Jesus shirt when I, I don't even have one. Thank God. I don't wear the, I don't, I'm not awkward when I walk in. Christian man's here. No more swearing. And they like, you know, somebody cusses and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then they realize that I'm cussing later in the workout. But no, like, don't cuss at the pastor. No, that was the pastor. Oh, people wanted to do a uh, softball league at the church. And there's a Christian softball league. I, I wanted to be like, you know, Tom Hanks and a league of their own. There's no crying. In, Christian softball league? Is the ball safe? What the? No, if we're going to be on a, you will have a softball team. We're going to go to the beer leagues. Why would I, I want to go up and, Watch other Christians act like sinners. I'd rather go ask, watch sinners act like sinners, 
right? Watch the pastor. This is this. People, you, this is literally, they, they advise pastors when they're hiring other pastors. This is what you do. Invite him to the softball game. And when he's safe at second base, call him out. See what he does. When he's safe, call the pastor out. And then how he responds, that's how you know if you should hire the guy or not. If he free, what? The, you know, no, I'll pass on this guy. No grace. Hobby with non-Christians. Number five, talk with your coworkers. I know this seems like a no-no, but it's not. I know the cubicle feels like this invisible force field that nobody sees you, but your head sticks above it. Everybody sees you there. Talk to people. Talk to people. See them across the thing. Go talk to them. Go to the water cooler. Eat lunch in the break room. Talk to people at the break room. Ask them questions. Get to know them. Have them over for dinner. Number six, volunteer at nonprofits. We do this. All of our missional communities are on mission to a specific people and a place. So we go, we, at least once a month, we volunteer um, at different nonprofits across the city. I'm going to do that. Bring your neighbors. Your neighbors want to be a part of mission. Your neighbors want to be involved in things like that. Even if they're unbelievers, they want to serve and they want to give back to the community. Number seven, participate in city events. We got Bix Fest. We got Blues Fest. We got, there's a fest every week in downtown. Go participate in city events. You get to know people. You get to meet people. It's part of your natural rhythm. It's fun. Do it. Eight, serve your neighbors. Are they sick? Bring them something. Do they have a baby? Bring balloons over. Bring something over to them. I've, I got a huge garden, right? I, um, every year, like by August, I'm so tired of yellow squash. I just want to throw it at people. So I just, we, we take all the kids, we throw it all in the wagon, we drive, walk it down our neighborhood and just hand out Vegetables to our neighbors. Engage with your neighbors. Serve your neighbors. These are eight simple ways. And guys, this is not adding anything to your schedule. You're already home. You're already eating. You're already working out. You're already hobbying. Just invite people into it. Live that life with gospel intentionality. I want everyone to understand mission is not something you tack on to an already busy schedule. It is the purpose of our life we are missionaries. Now, listen, I apologize for going over. I had a lot to get out today. Um, so it's, it's over. You can breathe easy. Um, as we come to the table this morning, I want you to think about and be aware that this, this is a missional meal. For those who are in Christ here, at once, you are outside of Christ. There was a time in your life you were outside of Christ and Christ came after you. Maybe a Christian shared this faith with you. Maybe a pastor preached the gospel to you. Maybe a a neighbor or a family member brought you to church or, or shared the gospel. At one time, you were outsiders and now you've been brought in. This is a missional meal. And guys, I want, I want us to think about this. As we come today, we celebrate what Christ has done and he's made us into missionaries. And this is a group, a family of missionary servants coming this morning. And you're being empowered by the Spirit of God to leave here today and go be on mission. Live a normal life with gospel intentionality. Father, I thank you for this food. I thank you for this drink. I thank you that it, it's your blood and it's the body of Christ. That, that Father, this is the meal you gave us to to commemorate the new covenant that we are accepted not by our works but by the work of Christ that you give us a new identity we're new creations 
Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. I pray that you would equip us, that you would empower us, and that you would give us fruitful ministry on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen.